This week we're breaking out our crystal ball. With all the uncertainty around the world, Brexit, Trump, etc., how can economists really forecast what's going to happen next? You're listening to The Profit Margin with First Trust Bank. Hello, welcome to The Profit Margin with me, Naomi McMullen and Jamie DeLarge. As I mentioned there, we'll be catching up with Neil Gibson to talk about the trajectory of our economy. Here's a hint. He thinks inflation will loom large. Before that, though, you know we love looking at successful local businesses to see how they've managed to grow and what lessons we can learn. Jamie spoke to Declan Gormley from Brookfint at the Business Eye Awards. Seven years ago, the Dunmurray-based firm had no exports. Now, well over over 40% of its energy-saving ventilation systems are sold overseas. The company, which employs around 60, has broken into markets as far away as China and New Zealand. Declan told Jimmy it was sheer necessity that forced Brookfin to look abroad in the search for sales. Declan, it wouldn't be any exaggeration to suggest that you've come from a very low base, in fact, from no exports to being international company of the year. That's an enormous achievement. How was it done? It's basically you respond to the circumstances you find yourself in. We were very much a single company, single market in the throes of depression. That uh, phrase, uh, necessity being the mother of invention, forces you to look elsewhere. And that was the genesis of the start of our export business. What was the biggest hurdle you had to overcome? Well, the most difficult challenge is actually, first of all, identifying where you think you're going to put your first foothold in an export market. And then, of course, all the challenges that any export market brings in terms of regulation, tariffs, transport, etc. Those are the initial challenges. After that, you've got the same challenges as any market in the UK. You've got to be better than the competition. And give me an idea of the scale of the expansion of your operation. Well, we've gone from being a zero export business in 2009. Our financial year's just ended, and export now accounts for 46% of the entire company's growth. And I anticipate over the next two years, we could see export actually exceed our home market. Now, you famously were a critic of the idea of leaving the EU, Brexit in other words. Now that you've a chance to digest what's been happening, of course we are not yet out of the EU, but things are becoming perhaps a little clearer. Are you more reassured or more worried? Uh, More worried. I see nothing reassuring about the decision uh, to vote for Brexit. What we're seeing is currency fluctuations. What is coming down the line is price inflation. Uh, We have no clear plan of what exactly Brexit means. And therefore, if you're in business and trying to have some confidence about the future, I think you'll see the markets very much uh, having the jitters about what's happening here because clearly the leadership in terms of the exit plan is not getting communicated to people in a way that reassures. In light of that, what would you like our ministers at Stormont to do in terms of arguing a case to the Prime Minister, Theresa May, to ameliorate, I suppose, the word, the situation? I think the most important thing in Northern Ireland is all the ministers in our executive, all the parties have to, I think, acknowledge that Northern Ireland holds a unique place in relation to this Brexit decision. There's no point in actually ignoring that fact. The best thing everyone at Stormont can do is actually work hard to find, argue the case that Northern Ireland needs uh, special consideration. We have a land border with the Republic and therefore in the totality of all of Ireland, the best thing the executive do is work to get us the best deal we possibly can so that we are not impacted more severely than currently looks to be the case. 
Declan Gormley finishing that interview. Well, from one exporter to another, did you know that in Cookstown there's a business that's one of the fastest growing roof window manufacturers in Europe and the UK's biggest steel lintel manufacturer? Jamie spoke to Ethna Kelly from the company. One of the impressive aspects about Keystone is that you've taken a traditional market, um, a traditional product, and shaken it up and made a success. How did you manage to do that? In Keystone, we have always um, listened to our customers and listened to the needs of the industry. Um, We have a very strong focus on innovative uh, products and upgrading our products and making sure they suit what's required within the industry at the moment and that has been a big focus for us and that has helped us generate new products uh, such as the key light roof window which we have uh, launched onto the market for a number of years now but we've upgraded that product to actually include a thermal collar uh, which helps with the thermal performance uh, within the fabric of a building. When you get a product that sells and sells well, how important is it to continue to upgrade it, to continue to add innovation to it? Um, it's, it's important in Keystone. It's, it's very much a part of what we do um, to take a product introduce it to the market, then see ways of how we can improve on the product, possibly, for example, how the product's installed, um, how it perf- the thermal performance that a product has, what the industry requires, for example, with labour shortage in the construction industry. We have a focus on products, um, future products, which will help alleviate those pressures because we manufacture off-site products they are then brought to site and installed, so less time on site and less labour required on site because they're uh, predominantly factory manufactured. Now, being based where you are, you sometimes think that there is a problem because you're removed from many of the markets you would serve, but is that a difficulty for you? Well, the products we supply, uh, we have added value. We've taken a fairly basic product, we've added value, we've developed, we've added new features to that product, and that offsets any disadvantage we would have. We have a very good network, transport network set up, and whilst we are based in uh, actually the geographical centre of Northern Ireland, uh, we find within this local market we're able to um, travel to any part required with our deliveries. We also have a good network of deliveries into our UK depot, which actually happens to be in the geographical centre of the UK as well, um, in South Derbyshire. So this isn't an issue for us. Now, you, you, you've done, uh, in a sense, so well so far, but um, do you stop at this point or is there room for expanding the operation? Certainly not. We uh, see so many opportunities in the marketplace uh, with our customers. We have a very strong customer base, both in the UK and Ireland. Um, We see the need to supply more innovative products to those customers. So we see a lot of opportunities, particularly in the area of uh, of site construction, uh, where there is a labour issue uh, for many sites in the UK and Ireland. Tell me if you can pick out maybe one or two factors, but what are the reasons, the main reasons for the success of Keystone? 
Um, I think uh, dogged determination um, is something that is very uh, much a feature of our business and that determination uh, manifests itself in producing innovative products. Um, we spend a lot on uh, patents and research and development. Uh, we research the market um, and our customers' requirements and we I feel that those have been two very important factors Plus, of course, our wonderful workforce, uh, both in Poland, uh, the UK and Ireland and Wales. We have a great bunch of people um, who are very dedicated and work very, very hard. And we owe a lot of the success to those folks goes to show that your geographic base is no excuse when it comes to building a leading UK firm. Well, at the top of the programme, we talked about economic forecasting and what we could perhaps expect in the year ahead. Jamie spoke to Professor Neil Gibson, the director of the Ulster University Economic Policy Centre, and got straight to the point. The, The future, it's always difficult to predict, but Tell me the the scale of the problem that faces economic forecasters today with all the various changes we're seeing around the world, Trump, Brexit, uh, what's happening in China. Just how how difficult is it to, to do your job? This is probably the most difficult time ever for the economics profession. This is unprecedented levels of uncertainty. Normally, when we're looking ahead at things, we at least know what the decision is going to be. We don't know what the migration policy is going to be, what the trade policy is going to be. We've had a lot of promises from Trump, but they're that. You know, now we're in, he's, in, he's going to be in, in the president. Will he follow through on those on sort of trade deals and protectionist policies? That makes it almost impossible to come up with a very accurate picture of what the next two or three years will hold. And therefore, as economists, we have to really scenario plan and try to look at best case and worst cases. So wide is the uncertainty at the moment. Well, you have stuck your neck out in terms of inflation with a prediction that inflation could uh, rise to as high as 4%. Now, what are the grounds for that? Yes, the inflation forecast comes out of our detailed modelling work, and it, it may seem surprising. It's, it's twice what the OBR are predicting, for example, but the main drivers of that are the exchange rate falling and staying low, which is what we have in our models. That's importing quite a lot of inflation. We have to import a lot of our foods and our fuels that we can't really substitute, so import pressures there. Then the potential of at least some form of control and migration. That's likely to pr- produce some upward pressure on wages as employees feel they can maybe argue for a little bit more pay, particularly in the back of rising inflation. And that becomes can become quite a dangerous, it's a very difficult balancing act. Governments like a little bit of inflation and a bit of wage increase. But the danger is if people perceive inflation to be getting very high, do they try to push for even higher wages? And can you get into that sort of spiral? I don't think we're looking at that. But such a depreciation in the currency and such a protracted long period of low inflation, all of that feeds through into our expectation that prices are going to, for one of a better word, begin to catch up again. You mentioned wage growth there, um, but looking at your forecasts, it doesn't look as if in real terms uh, people are going to be much better off. But, But give me your analysis. Yes, perhaps one of the great um, uh, features of the last decade when we look back is that to all intents and purposes there's been no real wage increase for the best part of a decade. And if we look at that and project that forward and our expectation is that it will remain fairly muted 
that creates some very significant challenges. And indeed, it's probably some of the reasons that we've seen things like the Brexit vote, the Trump vote. That all comes down to lack of rising real incomes. And we've got a situation now where historically the power has shifted more to the employer than the employee. People are grateful to have a job, any job, and therefore they haven't felt in a position to really negotiate for higher pay. But I would expect to see conversations, particularly in areas like the public sector, with the unions and the workers who've put up with quite a long period of of little or no pay rises, really beginning to push once they see inflation rising. So really inflation remains a very critical part of our outlook. And I think many would hope that we're, we're actually wrong in that outlook and it ends up being just a little bit more modest and something that we could manage. One of the striking predictions is that, that over a 10-year period, there will be no increase in the number of retail jobs in Northern Ireland. Now, how do you explain that? Well, the retail sector may have a very short-term boost from the, the currency. We might see quite a bit of cross-border trade, for example, this, this Christmas and, and even into next year. But if we look at the underpinnings of the retail sector, it's a sector undergoing significant transformation. It wouldn't be it would be slightly unfair to say it's going through its own industrial revolution, but it is beginning to mechanize quite you know, people are beginning to see uh, you know tills with with no attendance, self-serving tills. You're starting to look at drone delivery of packages, a lot more online shopping. So the retail Retail offer in the way that it's been shaped currently is under huge pressure and overall as an employer we expect it to remain the biggest employer in the economy but not growing in any material sense as technology really begins to play its part in that sector. That would suggest then that if there were to be new shops, new department stores, that would only be at the expense of the existing ones. Is that correct? To a degree, but what you're more likely to see is needing less people per square foot of department stores store, for want of a better word. So technology allowing a, a, a shop to operate with a much smaller number of staff than it would have previously. I mean, ironically, people are looking for more and more choice. You're starting to see what you might think of as more shopping experiences, places opening cafes with a little bit of a retail outlet. You'll be going into high street showrooms, not retailers, where you will look at what you want to buy and it will be sent to your home. They won't actually carry it. So it's a change. It's, it's a revolution within the sector. You'll see a growth in cafes, which have a shop as a sideline. So I think it's really a transformational change. So we probably, it's not a case that we're seeing the high street dying. We're just seeing it changed and transformed by technology. A lot of um, of the challenges that are arising will have to be dealt with by our politicians. And some, perhaps it's a reflex reaction, have a very jaundiced view of their ability to cope. What's your estimation of the performance current and future of our executive. I think I'd make two statements on that. I think the most important one is for people of that opinion, and, and, and I meet many, the first challenge to them should be, uh, would you think of standing yourself? You know, we, we, we get what is available to vote for. But my own personal experience in working in this field for, 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 for a couple of decades now is that things are improving. Northern Ireland is beginning to mature. Yes, politicians have to get elected, so it's not always easy to say the things that, for example, academics like myself are able to say about the tough choices that need made. But as an indicator of why I have more confidence is the number of phone calls to us in the university, to the Research Institute. You know, we're looking at something, what do you think? SPADs reaching out, you know, special advisors asking us for a little bit of commentary. And that's very healthy. That's how it would operate elsewhere. And what I think that is an example of people now 
being badgered on the doorstep, where's the job for my kids? Where's the future for this economy? Those are the questions that are rising up the tree, less the constitutional ones. And I think we're seeing that reflected in our politicians. So I would be quite optimistic. And indeed, I feel a responsibility that academics and others should not be critical of our politicians, but offer our hand to try and help because it's a tough journey to make choices in the fiscal environment we're in at the moment. You're listening to The Profit Margin with First Trust Bank. Now it's getting to that time in our show. Our startup this week is Hurry. Here's the founder with his pitch. Hi guys, I'm Aaron Gibson, founder and CEO of Hurry. Hurry is a marketing automation platform for apps, which allows developers and marketers to predict, prompt and profile their users, to allow the marketer to make more informed marketing decisions whenever they're contacting the users, pushing out tailored content to each one of the users and content that they're really going to be interested in. Since launch in August 2016, we've reached over 100 apps using the platform with dozens showing interest on a weekly basis. We're now raising funds on crowdcube.com to build out customer support, business development and partnership functions within the business. You can find us at www.hurry.co and we'd love to invite any potential customers or potential investors to join us on the journey to reinvent relationships through mobile. Go and check out crowdcube.com if you're interested. That's it for this week and you can check us out on Facebook at The Profit Margin or on Twitter at The Profit Margin. Thanks for listening. You're listening to The Profit Margin with First Trust Bank.